Hello there, my name is Alyssa Olenek. I am obsessed with all things exercise, science, outdoors, and growing an honest online business. I've spent the last 10 years studying exercise physiology, nutrition, and metabolism, and I'm here to help you move past the extremes in the fitness and wellness industries to have the real conversations we're not often willing to have with a sprinkle of sass and a whole lot of truth. I'm here to help you confidently live with me in the messy middle. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Messy Middle Podcast. So I'm very excited for this episode now because I just spent 52 minutes exactly bantering with Jasmine, our guest today, um, about all things business coaching, social media, pet peeves of things that other CPTs and trainers maybe don't know, what they're not doing correctly, the woes of having an online-based business and everything in between. So I've actually got to know her a little bit more. So that was actually fun. It's nice to be able to chat with people and get to know them a little more. So now I'm extra excited for today's episode. I invited Jasmine on today because I caught she caught my eye with what she was doing on social media. So she's a smaller page, so I'm already going to encourage you to go follow her, especially if you're a coach or trainer struggling with this. And I know so many people reach out to me because they're like, well, how do I be confident in my programming? How do I know if I'm doing the right thing? How do I learn what you know? And so unfortunately, I don't coach coaches at this time, but there are people who do that, right? And Jasmine is one of them. And so her page caught my eye because one, she actually knows, a girl knows how to use Canva correctly. <laughs> she she has good post content and she does a really good job at actually explaining the structures of workouts, like programming lifts or like your general programming more effectively. And I know that is something that a lot of people come out of their CPTs or their, even their undergrad degrees in exercise science and kinesiology, and you're never taught actually how to do this. Like you understand how, like what a VO2 max is and how like glycolysis breakdown carbs, but you literally have no idea how to program things and you feel really unconfident in your first training job or in your career or if you are starting to start an online business. So I think this is an important conversation we need to be having. And so who better than Jasmine to come on today to talk about all the things. And so hello, welcome to the Messy Middle Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. We should have just recorded our first hour of banter. It could have been free business advice with List 101. Okay. So for our listeners, can you give them a little bit more on your background, your story? I know like you talked about how like you were going to go be a DPT and you decided not to go to PT school and like made that pivot because you do have an undergraduate degree in kinesiology and made that pivot to getting into the fitness industry and then how you ended up starting doing what you're doing with coaches and like kind of that messy middle journey as we like to call it. Yes. Well, thank you, Alyssa, for having me on the podcast. Definitely an honor. But how did I get in the space of fitness? Uh, So we're going to go back in time, y'all, on the time bus to like 2011, 2012. Yes, that's when all this started. Um, In my fourth year in a kinesiology program, and I was on for three years straight, I was on the, like you said, uh, physical therapy track. And I just knew I was going to PT school. And then I had an internship with like a really well-known physical therapist in town. He had worked with the NFL and all this stuff. And I worked with him for a semester and I was bored to tears. Mm -hmm. Like it hit me, no disrespect to anyone who's doing the DPT uh, track right now. But like, I was like, I'm going to look at the same six to 10 injuries for 40 years inside of a building with fluorescent lights. Like that's all I could visualize at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm not down for it. So I decided not to go to DPT school. And that like blew the whole plan off of my, my like future for the next three to five, four foreseeable Mm -hmm. years. But but it was at that time that I had already had a part-time gig at one of the gyms at school for physical, for personal training. Um, and so I was like, let's go all in with that because to me that was hella rewarding. It was fulfilling. I love to see clients like concepts click in their head when they understood something finally for the first time when it came to movement, because it doesn't come naturally to everybody. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, we're going to go all in with that. And so, um, fast forward, we could say eight or nine years where I've worked primarily for either myself with a couple of Lobo um, gym jobs mixed in with that. And, um, I started to like question, like, do I just want to like write programs until like I'm 50 something years old? Like yeah. is that what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I recognized that that was like small sided for me. And I, I, my, my potential was a whole lot more than that. Right. Yeah. So, um, that's when I started to like look around and I noticed there were a lot of trainers on the floor and there were, um, at the time I was working for a gym, this was my last gym job. And I noticed that they were like, not doing anything that made any sense. 
Mm. Like they they weren't like Sadly, trying, yes. <laughs> they weren't intentionally trying to be bad trainers, but they were pretty crappy trainers. They had no flipping clue like how to guide their clients through anything or how to guide their clients to a goal. Half of them didn't really know concretely what their clients' goals were. And yeah. so it was like, hmm, light bulb moments. Let's pivot towards coaching other coaches how to do their job. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got to where I am now. And there's a big gap on that. So I think a few things there that I think was really important, I think a lot of our re- listeners can resonate with this, is like, I mean, I teach undergrad uh, lectures and labs at the university level as part of my PhD. And so many students were PT bound, you know what I mean? And cause that mm-hmm. just seems like the natural track, but then they like realize what the job actually entails. And there's nothing wrong with that. Cause some people thrive and are amazing in that. And they love that. And then I think people think it's one thing versus another. And I know that for the longest time I felt forced into that track too, even though it wasn't for me. And I did exercise rehab, like along places like, like, uh, I worked in chiropractor offices, but it was kind of like exercise. It was just like kind of like personal training, but alongside their care, just get people stronger essentially is what it was. So it wasn't in a gym setting, but I was there and I was like, man, like this is fun and great. I love helping people get stronger, but also in a rehab type setting, I was just like, this isn't for me. Like, this is just not for me. And I think it's important to recognize that and know what's right for you. Um, and where you thrive at. And I think a lot of our listeners can resonate with that. Obviously, Ironically, I just interviewed Alex Macklin today and he left his PhD program and we have John Knoll on an earlier episode who had a full degree in normal nine to five job and he left it all to be a fitness coach. So I think like that is something that is a trend now with multiple people that we're interviewing that I think so many people can relate to. And it's not even like being like better or worse to do one thing or the other because so many people would like look down on you deciding to not be a DPT or whatever. But like that's a lot of money and a lot of effort to do something that doesn't fulfill you every single day. Right. So I think that's awesome. And I think it's probably smart as heck that you recognize that before you went hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt for physical therapy school. Right. Like like that's a smart move. Undergrads take note, like that shit costs money if it's the wrong decision. Oh my God. I had picked out a school at that point. It was three years, full-time school. Like there's really no Mm -mm. time for a part-time gig. 90 grand, Alyssa. Yep. And this is like 2012, 90 grand. So mm-hmm. that means it will be like 150 now, right? Inflation. Mm-hmm. So I was like, no. That's you a know, costly. Un- yes. I mean, and that's fine if that's what people want to do. But it's yeah, a costly please. choice if you were going to leave after three years and never use that piece of exactly. paper. Exactly. Yeah. And but like I said, I'm the woman with a plan. So I was like, that's not a good plan. I don't know what the plan is, but it ain't that. So... <laughs> Yeah. And you can still get some of the similar fulfillments by working with clients and coaches and people as you do in that, in a different type setting. And I've always been someone who loved working in the non-clinical side of the industry, whether that's Mm -hmm. research or coaching, whatever, like I've always found more fulfillment with that. So I completely relate and identify with that. So at this point though, let's talk about what you're seeing that coaches and trainers are doing that are like making you, and I completely agree. There's a huge gap. There's business coaches. There's how to grow your social media coaches. There's how to start a business. And then there's like, you get your CPT, but then it's like, so, and I know so many young trainers are like, what the freaking heck do I do now that I have this piece of paper? What does this mean? It means nothing. I mean, I had an undergraduate degree in kinesiology. I'm getting my PhD in exercise physiology and I have had zero classes on programming. I learned everything through being self-taught and certification and like, education and stuff like that, but no one's literally told me how to do that. Like I had to self-teach all of this and I have a PhD in it. And so someone might look at me and be like, well, you're an expert. And I'm like, people in my cohort don't know how to program exercise at all. Like that doesn't mean you know anything just because you have a piece of paper or a degree, either one. Yeah. It's just like a doctor. People think that, uh, oh, he's a doctor. He can tell me how to eat. There's like no good nutrition information in a doctor's coursework. They might have one nutrition class and all the information is pretty much hogwash be honest about it. So like the same sort of idea applies to us. Like when, when you're in a movement-based science, but then like, if you tried to go along the route of of personal training, the foundation of your job is program design. We're not Mm -hmm. taught the foundation of our job. No, at all. (laughs) You're taught all the science, which is important to help, but there's that caveat, right? If you don't understand any of the science, you're you're not going to be the best coach. But if you understand all the science, but you have no idea how to apply it, 
you're not going to be the best coach, right? Like it's about that integration of those two things together and both sides totally miss out on both of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you've made that pivot this past year, right? Like that's like Mm -hmm. when you were like, okay, well let's help coaches coach better, which I think is so great and so smart as we talked about in our one hour long rant before this. So let's maybe break down and identify some of the things that you were seeing trainers doing. You know what I mean? Like, what are some of the things that you saw that were, you were like, Ooh, you could be doing that better or Ooh, that is not how we do it. Um, Mm -hmm. to, to help them. like, you use the phrase, like elevating the fitness industry through their coaching. So what kind of things do you see coaches and trainers, maybe mistakes or unrefined processes where they could help use, like use a little bit of clarity, um, or direction to help, you know, make those things that they're doing with their clients, whether it's virtually or on a gym floor a little bit better? Yeah, there are two to three primary things that stand out to me. Um, Number one, we aren't, people aren't really recognizing or when you're new into personal training, you're not grasping. Um, Personal training is a relationship business. And I stand by that through and through and through and through, which means that if you aren't being socially woke and aware of your people and where they stand when they're coming to you and how to connect with them, you can know all the science and know all the programming in the world. But if you can't figure out how to relate that and teach that in a way that they can receive it, then you're pretty much just not making it a positive effect on your clients. Mm-hmm. So then it makes it harder for you to talk to them, meaning attract them by understanding, like speaking to their pain points or speaking to like the things that they want to change, um, teaching them how to implement what, like the concept of what you're teaching, teaching them how to take that um, concept and apply it in a day-to-day manner so that they can actually see lasting results. Those things are not going to come easily if you don't recognize that you um, have to be able to teach to multiple learning styles and multiple ways of processing and thinking. So that's the first thing that I see not really being taught or done well with Mm -hmm. um, personal trainers. And I personally, I kind of sort of get it and don't because naturally I'm someone who just talks well and get opens up with people. But for people who are more like in their head with thinking, um, like trainers who are more thinkers, they're more in their head. They're not really socially. I'll just go strike up a conversation with someone randomly in a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. When they're not naturally like that, this part of the job is hard for them. So mm-hmm. you have to work at it. And unfortunately, that just comes from trying and putting in the effort and getting out there and talking to people. I don't yeah. think you can necessarily read that in a book, so to speak. No, so, I completely agree. There's a lot of that, like, well, just trust me or just do this because I say I should do it in the fitness industry. And in theory, yeah, that's great, but people don't work that way. You can't just give people information and think that they just do it and then get mad that they don't do it. Humans are so much more complex and it is relationships. And it is one of those things where like, I'm very naturally social too. But even like my boyfriend, Regis, who's much more of a personal self-kept person, he personal trained for years. And like Mr. Regis social butterfly, you know what I mean? Like you have to, you have to like, it's almost like maybe like Beyonce has her stage personality. Like you have to have your floor personality, but like you have to be able to communicate with people and not just be like, well, I said this. Yeah. That's why you should do this. Like (laughs) to your Beyonce reference, um, Step into your Sasha Fierce alter ego <laughs> when you step onto the floor, you know, clock her in, give her some showtime. That's number one. Secondly, it's now when we get to nuts and bolts, assessing. We talked about mm-hmm. this pre-podcast recording, but like there is such a lack of understanding of number one, how to conduct a um, an efficient and useful assessment, and then how to implement the findings from that assessment once it's done. Those two things are completely missed. Um, I vividly remember, like, I, there was these new trainers came into the gym that I was working um, for. They had worked at other gyms before, so they were just new to that space, mm-hmm. and they would get a new client and you see them have like a 10 minute conversation with them, and then you see them take them in the corner and start doing exercises. And like, a hit workout. They just met them 15 oh, minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, Hmm, you know, and it like part of me would get pissed off because I'm like, that's stupid. But yet some of these clients would sign with that person because they didn't know who else was in the room that could help them. And they thought that's the way fitness is supposed to work. So mm-hmm. that's why they went with them. And then a part of me was just like, Hmm, that's a shame because that trainer 
really, this is not going to last. There's no stay in power with that. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a fast turnover. So it was always like a mixed bag of emotions for me, um, which is one of the, one of the things that feeds into my whole mentality of elevating the industry. We can help do that by, by trainers putting, um, doing a better display of what it actually looks like to be a quality trainer to the public. So the public just doesn't think that this is like a get fit quick situation or just something they do to get their summer body ready kind of. Yeah. So that was my second thought, the assessment. And then I would say the third piece that I see not done well is the elephant in the room that nobody really wants to address. And that's programming itself. Mm-hmm. Like programming is a series, the way my brain at least looks at it and the way yeah. that I've been teaching it that has been working with my um, group of clients is programming is a set of systems. Mm-hmm. One system integrates with the other. And once you figure out how the overall system of programming works, looking at it from a big picture and looking at it from end goals and then reverse engineering back to like where the client is when they first come to you. Once you figure out how that works, the programs basically write themselves. Yeah. And it feels, and I, I think there's that caveat with at least the programming one. And I'll go back on the assessment thing too, because I think there's some important things to touch in there. But I think that maybe new trainers overcomplicate programming while also not understanding it because they both feel bad. Like they're giving too like something that's too simple and too rudimentary because of course people love quick fix, sexy fitness industry and they are coming looking for that. But being confident in knowing that that system and approach, even if it feels less sexy and flashy is actually better long-term, but then integrating that social aspect where you get the buy-in from the person to believe and explain why those things like that you have to, you have to lace those together very delicately. Um, But yeah, it's literally like, and whether people want to work from macro to micro or micro to macro, like you have to think of like, what's the long-term end goal and what's the best way to program out to this, right? Like you can't just look at it and be like, well, this is what you do tomorrow. Well, tomorrow is important, but you also look at tomorrow in the context of the week and the block in the, in, in the, in the macro cycle in the year and like wherever they're at and you have to be able, and it's not easy. Right. And I don't think anyone's saying that, like, if you're a new coach, you should be able to do this right away. It's a lot of trial and error and learning as you go. Um, but yeah, I feel like a lot of, I don't, I've never worked in the, on the floor of a personal training gym and I've always trained in more like strength and conditioning gyms the last few years or CrossFit boxes. But from what I've seen, maybe I'm crazy, but I've I feel like it's never really super progressive. It's all very like, this is just the workout we're doing today. No, and that is true because I have no percentage on this. I don't have data on this, but a large majority of uh, commercial gyms, the trainers that work in them, they are trainers who have, maybe they have tons of experience and they may have a few certifications, but basic programming is not the norm in their knowledge house. Like it's not a thing that is, it's not in their toolbox of things to work with their clients to help them get from point A to point B. Um, there's a lot of feel good training, like what feels mm-hmm. good today. And um, so like when you talk about, for instance, I've had several conversations with um, clients recently about making tweaks to a program. A lot of them feel, um, oh my goodness, like I have to overhaul the whole program constantly because um, we got to the end of what I knew to do with this person AKA four weeks, you know? Yeah. And so like I have to start over or they feel like they have to entertain their clients or my board, my clients are going to get bored. And I'm like, um, first you are not their, uh, entertainment for the week. You are their entertainment for that day. You are not the Muppet or the monkey jumping dancing yeah. on the table, as we were talking about before. Um, you are not that for them. They hire you to train them and you need to get comfortable with repeating things because mm-hmm. think about when I go to a cellular scientific level here and I know you'll validate this think about how the body works and how the body responds most people who are training clients they're training beginners or intermediates you are trying to get a adaptation response to whatever stimulus you are giving correct mm-hmm. so how do you get them to adapt it is exposure to the movement pattern it is repetition. It is time under that tension so that they can create the neural pathways and the mental map of this is what's necessary to groove this pattern so that I can yeah. squat well, I can deadlift well, I can do pull-ups and I can do push-ups and I'm not gassed every single time I do one set unless that person 
unless that trainer is constantly progressing the thing for you. Mm -hmm. And so in order to get good at a movement and do the repetition, you have to always see that pattern over and over again. Mm -hmm. So if you are um, on, say, like day one um, of this week, they're doing squats, and then day one of next week, they're not doing anything like a squat. They're jumping over plyo boxes. I don't think necessarily that you can get upset if three months later with all this inconsistency and variance in your program, you should be happy with their squatting. Like, oh my goodness, they they didn't put 10 pounds on the barbell with this back squat. Why aren't you progressing? It's you. It's not them. Yeah. You are the culprit. Slow down and like, let's pull out your program. And I, unfortunately, if I asked every client, pull out your latest program, put it on the table right now, print it, put it on the table. Number one, either they would give me two workouts because they don't have a program or that I don't know how to do this, or they give you something. It's a mess. And I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. No, but it's just a random bad. word vomit of exercises yeah. slapped together. And I'm saying this as like, this is how I first programmed. Like, I'm not even saying this as like, oh, oh I just popped out of the undergrad kinesiology womb and was an expert. No, 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 no. no, no. My first group of fitness class, I basically let the people run it. I was just like, okay, this is what you guys want. We're going to do what you want. Alyssa, I can go ahead and co-sign that. I'm a validate for this for everyone who's thinking, well, she's just picking on me. Listen, I've been doing this for 10 years. The first five to six of them was a hot mess because I didn't also know how to program. The worst of the worst of it was me on my way to the gym to train the client, making up the workout in my head. I literally was like putting it together on the way to the gym. That's That sounds like disrespectful to the client. And it is because mm-hmm. even though maybe we would do something that would be like, cause my logic brain is like, do something similar. Yeah, we would do something similar, but it wasn't progressive for that client. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, if we are going to train clients, most people are trying to make their clients stronger. The thing that makes people stronger other than that consistency is the progressive overload. If you are progressing them, if you're not overloading their system, they're not necessarily going to get better at that particular thing. Yeah. Yes, their fitness is going to get better because they're moving, but that doesn't mean that they're going to gain more skill in whatever activity that you are putting in front of them without the consistency and without the progression. Yeah. So, and I think yeah. so many people get caught that. up in the entertainment thing. And I'm like, well, one, <laughs> did your client even tell you they need entertained? You know what I mean? Like, do they yeah. even tell you? And I do that a little bit with the, I've redone the Littlest Method programming three times now. Because every time I learn more, I make it better. And like, I'm not ashamed. Like at first I was like, does that make me look like my business is a scam? I'm like, no, I should know more than I did as a first semester PhD student as a fourth year PhD student. Like I should know how to program exercise better, right? Yeah, like, you know, know better, you do better, right? Yeah, and I, I, I switched platforms in the middle of that. Like you have better systems, you learn better things. And you also get to know your clients better and what they need and want, Right. And so you can refine and make things better, but I've redone it each time. And I think that a lot of people think that people want entertainment more than they do. What people want is progress, but there's a fine line way of doing progressive overload while also making it fit into people's like things that they enjoy. Right. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't mean like, I think people think they're like, well, if I give people progressive overload and they do the same thing for six weeks, they're going to hate me and leave. And I'm like, or they're going to see themselves get better, have social support, actually make progress. And then like maybe next block you swap out a few accessories because you know that they're so beginner that it doesn't matter if they goblet squat or lunge. You know what I mean? Like what matters is that they just are doing a quad down and exercise as their accessory. Like that's where you make it fun for them. You know what I mean? Like it's not – but you don't stop squatting the next block. You just progress it no. differently. Yes, like you, you can place those two together, right? For sure. And like, and I get it. Like maybe when you think about when you train yourself, you, you think how, how quickly quote unquote air quotes quickly, you get bored with something. So you feel like you need to change it. And so it becomes this like, um, unspoken assumption that clients are going to get bored, but this is the part that really needs to kind of get into your thinking. The client most of the time is coming to you without an understanding of how to get better at something. Yeah. So you were teaching them how proper fit again, elevate the industry. You were teaching yeah. them how proper fitness works by showing them a sound program. Mm-hmm. You know, like I always te- think of like to t- uh, illustrate this example by taking people out of fitness and applying this to something else. Think about any 
any normal activity or thing that we have to engage in, like let's say for instance, going to a grocery store. Do you think that those items on a grocery store shelf just finds themselves there every week? Or do you think there's a system and a protocol to get items repeatedly on the same shelves every mm-hmm. week and every month and every year of a grocery store? That is a system. It is a system that harvests or bottles or packages and manufactures food and um, goods and brings them to the store for us to buy. You can look at the idea of programming, if you will, in the same way of if there is a system and there is a process that helps you write the program and that helps you take a client on their fitness journey that has to have repetition and semblance in it in order for them to get to the B version of themselves. Remember, if you sit down in a consultation with a person and you ask them, what's your end goal? You help them. They tell you, but you also help them paint the picture because you yeah, want to most clients don't you. actually know what their end goal is. No, yeah. no. And so your job as the trainer is to hear what they say, repeat it back, and then make it as concrete and tangible as possible mm-hmm. for the client. Because then that's where the, oh, oh, that's exactly what I want. Yeah, thank you for articulating that for me. Okay, now you seem to be the person who knows how to get me there because you painted the picture for that person. Yeah. And so now when they get up out of that conversation with you and start doing work, their thinking is, Jasmine knows how to get me to this end goal. Okay, well, let me let me do what she says because she's the one who's going to teach me. If that is, if you put yourself in that position of the client thinking that way, and then you step back into yourself of being the trainer, you're like the last thing on that person's brain is, oh, this is going to be so boring. They're going to think maybe this is like repetitive, redundant, but this is the process that gets me to the end goal. And most of the time people aren't going to think something's redundant unless you're not challenging them. If you're not going to bring it full circle back to what I said earlier, if you're not making program tweaks and adjustments to keep it interestingly challenging for them. I think that's where the boringness is gone is taking away is when you continue to challenge their body to do something that before couldn't do so that when you like show them the metrics of everything they've done. It's like, wow, like a month ago, I was barely, um, I was barely able to do walking lunges with two 25 pound dumbbells. And now I can do walking lunges with two 45 pound dumbbells, like big ups to me. That's yeah. where I see the purpose in doing the things over and over again, exposing yeah. them to the patterns. And I love that too. Cause like, obviously like I have pre-made batch programs that are templated, but they're made to be like kind of self-adjusting for people. And I have the biggest thing for me, like speaking from someone who's doing what a lot of these trainers are trying to do is like for clients, like, even though, I mean, when I was first making that program, like the first three months, six months made sense, but I was like, how the freaking hell do I program after six months? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. what comes after six months? And then like, you know, and now I have it. It's like, almost two years of progressive overload. And at that yeah. point they repeat the, the cycle back over again, if they want to stay in it. Um, yeah. but I remember having that moment where I was like, well, shit, what do I have to do after the first like hypertrophy strength cycle? You know what I mean? Like yeah. they do, they do base building, they do like hypertrophy, they do strength. And then eventually like it comes more integrated as they go along and they have different goals for different blocks and stuff like that. Yeah. But I was like, shit, I don't know what to do after 12 weeks. You know what I mean? Or, or 24 weeks. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, no one ever tells you this. Like, it's easy to have a 12 week challenge that has no long-term progress or implications, or it's easy to train someone for a block. But anyway, that's my side tangent. No, but to piggyback off what you just said, like not knowing what to do after like the 12 week mark or like the six month mark is one of the reasons why I really try to teach my clients the um, programming and phases and thinking about programming as a season. Like, um, one of the things that I think isn't taught to mash to masses of personal trainers is the difference between, um, an accumulation phase and an intensification phase. Mm -hmm. And how do we mix those things in? Well, most of the time people who are, are, who are coaching like D1 athletes or professional athletes know about those sorts of things because it seems like a CSCS type of title world. Yeah. But like, if you have a client who comes to you, just to put this in an example, you have a client that comes to you and they're like, hey, I want to I want to train for a Tough mutter, and it's 12 months from now. And I just want yeah. to be able to go through the whole course without an injury. Like, that's their end goal. Like, this is where the system starts itself. It's like, okay, this is the end goal. This is where that client needs to be. Let us now reverse engineer back to where we are now. So 
the macro cycle is the program itself. I have 12 months to get this client ready. Yeah. Then the, then the uh, meso cycles is the basic, okay, like how many blocks or phases of training does this client have to go through to peak for this activity? Mm-hmm. And so that's where intensification and accumulation phases come yeah. in. Because first we have to, I always talk to tell people, think about prime the system for massive load and then load them up. Like, mm-hmm. this is the thing. Your muscle can only handle as much as its weakest link, which is the connective tissue that holds the muscles to the bones and different things like that, right? So if you are trying to push this client to um, get stronger, but you haven't really um, coached or conditioned all of the the smaller muscle groups and all of the connective tissue to do that work, to handle that amount of work, usually what you're going to run into is an injury. So yeah. that is why it's always like, let's help bring the client up to um, working speed with a, an accumulation round, and then maybe consider going into something that is more intense. Um, that is always the case for things like beginners. But even if you're getting yeah. a client who's the intermediate, you still need to do that for them. Yeah. Because you're then like ramping them up for what's intense for them. Mm-hmm. Not just from like some base level kind of thing that is general for everyone. So um, now I'm going off on a tangent. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is great. And actually this was exactly what I was going to say. So you actually piggied back into my, I remember what I was going to say is that for most people, and I say this to people and it always seems really mean, but we already decided we were going to drop the hammer in today's episode. <laughs> Mo- and I said this in my hybrid book. It was the first time that I blatantly like told people, I'm like, you're not fit enough to worry about this. But with coaching and clients, it's like most people gen pop, they just lack fitness. Even if they are kind of fit, they lack fitness, like in some area. And so one, I was going to say earlier, you get them to ha- enjoy it because gaining fitness, once you start to do it, is fun. It's not fun the first three to six weeks before you start to know any adaptations. But once the newbie gain starts to transition into real gains, then it is actually fun. It is fun to go to the gym and it add 10 pounds. Right? It's fun it to be able to do a pull-up with less weight. Like, it's fun to be able to do that, right? But – with all this programming, especially the Tough Mudder one is such a great example because so many people are not fit at all and they're like, I want to do this thing. And I think that's fantastic. But then they want to go run 20 miles a week out of nowhere. Their shins explode. Their their knee hurts. They freak out. They Their, their new trainer at the gym is giving them hip plyo high volume and they feel like trash and then they don't do anything. But you, yeah, you they people lack fitness. You can anyone from a beginner to intermediate probably lacks fitness somewhere on their foundation, right? And you have to expose them to get enough fitness that they can then start to handle intensity or volume on top of that. And I talk about this a lot with like hybrid training. A lot of the times people just want to start adding and running or adding in all this lifting. I was like, no, 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 you don't get to do that. You have, I call it the fishbowl of like water you can take from, you know what I mean? And you can only take so much from that to during the week, but it has to go to something. You don't get more water, but as you gain fitness or capacity, your clients gain fitness or capacity, they have more water to give in the fishbowl. Like that's the analogy that I like to use. And so for most people like that, just seeing any, they lack fitness and that's not a mean thing. Lacking fitness is a very objective description. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't mean like I lacked education 10 years ago. That didn't make me bad, but like that means most anything will work and you can get away with doing a lot of stupid stuff for a while and having it work, but eventually it won't, but you're going to have to get them to buy in eventually at some point on the things that do work when you move past everything being a stimulus and needing to be a consistent stimulus enough to get them to do that. But people enjoy that, but also people lack fitness. And that means that yes, a lot of stuff can work, but you don't have to kill them. Like they don't need that much to get better. You have to gradually graded exposure to what you're trying to have them do and let bodies adapt. Like bodies have to adapt. You just don't walk in the gym and be like, well, I'm as strong as Dwayne the Rock Johnson today. The Messy Middle Podcast will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Are you confused about what supplements you should actually be taking? In a world full of juice cleanses, detox teas, fancy promises, it can really be hard to trust anything. But high quality supplements, when dosed appropriately, can actually help support your fitness goals. And that's why I use Legion. I've been using Legion supplements since the beginning of this year, and after years of never really fully committing to one single brand due to lack of transparency in their labeling, unnecessary fluff, or just reporting things as blends and not knowing what's actually my product, I finally found a solid science-based product line that fits my supplementing needs. 
Legion's products are 100% naturally sweetened, and my favorite part, they are fully transparent in their labeling, and they use dosages that are actually backed with the science says you need to be effective and support your fitness goals. And not the least amount you can get away with, and not just labeling as blends, but fully transparently telling you what's in your product and why they dosed it that way. And this is huge because it lets you know exactly what you're taking and if it's actually going to be effective, and then you can know what's going into your body. My personal favorites are their cinnamon cereal whey. Yes, it tastes as good as it sounds. The mocha cappuccino plant protein. Pulse, their pre-workout, which comes in non-stimulant or caffeinated stimulant based. And Recharge, the recovery blend, which also gives me the creatine I need to move weights well in the gym. Legion offers 100% money back guaranteed if you're not happy with their products. And you can save 20% off your first order today with our code MESSYMIDDLE at checkout. That's M-E-S-S-Y. M-I-D-D-L-E at checkout to save 20% today. <laughs> and I think that it's um, it's imperative to point out that these principles for like programming, it's just that it's a principle. That means no matter what style of fitness you 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 coach, like you yeah. would what fitness you go into, all these principles apply. It applies if you're someone who is more CrossFit driven or if you're kind of like a functional bodybuilding driven or just traditional mm-hmm. bodybuilding driven. Or if you're someone who is like training people who their the primary bulk of their um, of their uh, event is more of a running thing or more of an endurance sport, like all of these same principles still apply. Because I think I can hear some objection being, well, like that doesn't apply to like style of fitness that I do because I do like hybrid. And Alyssa's here to tell you that even hybrid. No, even CrossFit, well programmed CrossFit is progressive graded exposure to. Because even if it's constantly varied, they're not constantly varying it without a system. Like no, I've done comp trains programming. It's still like you're do- still doing the same squats every week, but you're doing mm-hmm. a different conditioning piece, but you're doing the same similar stimulus of a Metcon yes. on Monday of every week for yeah. that block. You're, you're not doing. Yeah. yeah. Every yeah, Monday is going to be like a 10 minute AMRAP and every Tuesday is going to be a long conditioning based workout. Just because the movements are changing doesn't mean the stimulus is changing, right? Like that. Exactly. Like I, and I agree with that. Um, I understand what you mean rather because I pretty much come from like that CrossFit preference background as well, or, and something I'm stepping into now that my hip is better. If you've been following yeah. school, I have hip issues, um, that I'm trying to get into Olympic weightlifting. And so all of that, all of these things still apply. Like people look at CrossFit as like, Oh, it's just a bunch of like crazy fitness. It's, it's really not. They're still working in the same movement patterns and they're really still, they're still working within the same like work capacity, heart rate zone developments and all that sort of but stuff. Doing the so. same thing. If it's a good gym or good programming, it's fine. That's the same principles. Good yeah. If they know what they're doing, but unfortunately, even in the world of CrossFit, there's some gyms that have like, they don't have good programming. That's why mm-hmm. everything you have to go do your due diligence and vet it out, make sure it's good for you. So I encourage people who are hiring trainers, vet that trainer out, interview them. Because if you're going to be giving them your time and money, you need to make sure they're going to get you to where you need to go. And if they don't know, you don't have to be mean about it. You just slide out the door and find somebody else who can't. And that's they- unfortunate. There's just so many. <laughs> and I think people think that like it's just unique to social media. And it's not. Bad CPTs are in gyms all over the country there's bad CrossFit boxes. There's bad strength coaches. There's horrible bodybuilding coaches. Like it's just people with too much confidence when they should have imposter syndrome. And then those of you who are listening to this, but you're like, I don't deserve to be in this field. I know nothing. Well, no, you maybe don't know as much as you will in five years, but you know something and you can start with that something and make it better and refine it. Like you don't have to contribute to that problem in the industry. And if you're seeking out that help or those questions, you're probably not actually harming people right now. And if you're going to have those uncomfortable moments where you're like, shit, I would never, like I went back through, I was cleaning up my Instagram feed just because I'm going to start applying for jobs in the next year. And I was like, okay, I want to make sure that nothing that's in here is anything that like I wouldn't want someone to see. Right. And I was going through some of the stuff from my master's when I first started my Instagram page, like fresh out of undergrad, starting my master's. I was like, I would never give this fitness advice. You know what I mean? Like I would never program this exercise or program this way or give someone this ever. And I thought I knew what I was doing. You know what I mean? I was like, I feel you. I I threw away the first three iterations um, of programming and like my true coach for clients that I had, like I would start beginners at a certain thing. This is something that I created like a few years ago 
And I look through them like maybe last year. I'm like, you know what? No, you can't. And I'm the person talking about tweaking programs um, because I actually know what I'm doing. I'm like, no, we just got to start all over. Like this has got to I go. know. I redid my programming <laughs> again and I was like, shit, I'm going to have to redo 22 blocks from scratch. I'm like, no, Alyssa, you don't have to do that. You just have to start at block one. I made notes as I went. I was like, okay, this is like the goal that I had this. This is what I updated. This is what I changed. This is what I'm going to progress in each yeah. block. It's like, listen, you don't have to rewrite 22 blocks of programming from scratch. Your programming isn't that bad. All I did was just add in like some more pull-up progression and more volume in areas that clients said that they wanted that. You know what I mean? Based off feedback I got in my programs. Like I was like, you don't need to throw out the baby with the bathwater. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Which is so hard when you think it's like, it's a mess. It's all a mess. I just start over. Like, no, you don't always have to. Slow down, breathe, drink some water, take some notes. You probably can save most of it. <laughs> and I think I think this is a good kind of tangent, obviously, because you're, you're working with a lot of online coaches. I think everyone kind of has an online niche. And obviously, it's applies to in-person, too, because there are in-person trainers using, like, Trainerize or True Coach. I've used both. I use Trainerize now. I used to use True Coach. But I think this is a great thing that is helpful for those of you who, like – and you don't have to do a – blanketed program like I do, that takes a lot of consideration. Programming for mass gen pop actually takes way more thought than I think people think. I think people are like, oh, it's really easy to have a mass program. I'm like, no, 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 no. If you're programming for multiple people, it's very hard. My when my assistant Allison, when she interviewed, I like started listing the laundry list of things that I consider when I'm programming. And she was like, what? I was like, yeah, well, you have like, you have to think like this type of person versus this type of person. And this is where they're at and this is how they need to be. And they're going to come from here. And like, it's a lot of stuff, right? And so yeah. these rules still apply, even if it's not programming for an individual, you still know yeah. the niche of your people that you're doing. But even if you're using these apps or one-on-one training, it's okay if your first iteration isn't great. But what you can do is ask your clients for feedback. Google survey them, ask them what they want. I haven't done this in a while because I kind of just, I gather it from what I hear. And I, well, as soon as I hear something, I add something or change it. But like my first two years of doing online coaching, I had one-on-one clients for like my first year and a half of business. I surveyed people. What would you like to see? What would you like differently? What would you want added? What do you actually hate? And then you can refine to fit the people that you're trying to work in, right? But you have to ask them. So start with what you know, track people's progress, is it working? You know what I mean? Like, first off, is it working? Like if it's not working, then you need to maybe overhaul your systems. Maybe you do have to rewrite your whole program. But Mm -hmm. usually like that first skeleton rendition, I'm sure you're like me, you're like, screw it, throw it all away. No, you just need to refine what you already have. Right. Exactly. And this is why, um, this is one of the things that I teach inside of my mentorship, because one of the things that happens is when you start getting good at client relationships and talking to your ideal client, different things like that, you start getting in more clients. And if you were to try to sit down and create from scratch, like absolute scratch every single time for every single person that you work with, you really wouldn't have enough time. So you create for yourself, I call them skeletons Mm -hmm. of programming. It is not, let me say this very loud for the people in the back. It is not bad or negative for you to use skeletons. You can also refer to them as templates. A lot of people who will say the word template um, and think, oh my God, that's just cookie cutter. And that's not like how you're, that's not making it individual. But if you're trying to create a repeatable system that progresses for people where people of the same um, ability house start and progress themselves to a higher level of ability, you want to have a repeatable system. Go back to the grocery mm-hmm. store analogy. You have repeatable systems. Um, it's what makes it individual is when you talk to that person, you re- recognize, okay, um, Lisa has hip impingement. So these exercises over here are not going to work as effectively for her as these over here. So that is where the, the tweak will come for her. Whereas um, uh, Lisa, well, Jessica over here has, ex- she's very hypermobile and she is like her thoracic spine is like makes up all the difference for what she lacks in mobility in her lower half. So these, these activities over here are going to be more useful than for what you were giving to your first client, Lisa. Right. So mm-hmm. that is how you, that is how you take something that looks like a framework that looks pretty similar to start out with, like breaking down, like, is it an A1, A2, B1, B2, C1, C2 kind of formatting and making sure the sets of reps are progressing in this manner 
that is how you then take those things and be like, when I add in this activity or when I add in this movement, it is specific to this client. Um, how quickly or how slowly you progress the movement is based upon that client's recovery and that client's adaptation and that client's um, ability to get into the gym because you don't give the same amounts of work or the same volume of work necessarily to a person who can only train like intentionally two times a week with you to as someone who can train intentionally five times a week like yeah it's not going to be the same approach. And that's where the personalization comes in. So not do not think that it is negative that you use a framework because it's going to save you time. It's going to make your work consistent, repeatable. And you can see the patterns in your own work where it's like, okay, this here can get better. I know now I'm better to do this here. So let's just now move the dial. Like it helps you uh, validate your own process a bit more. So you're not just yeah. feeling scattered and looking at a blank cursor um, I'm like, what do I write this for client every and- single client, every single time? I mean, that's how I birthed the littlest method. I had all these one-on-one clients who were coming to me and I was like kind of giving them the same thing with ju- ju- like little variations. And I was like, well, one from a PhD student perspective, I was like, why am I spending all this time doing this over and over and over again when they don't need anything else? But then I was like, two, why can't I create a system that makes this work for multiple people? in a way that they can adjust to themselves. And like, even when I kept one-on-one coaching with those people, because at the very beginning, you're learning your, your, you're learning your clients. You don't actually really know. You're kind of guessing that first block. You don't really know how they're going to respond or what it's like. And so I think a lot of coaches think that they have to reinvent the wheel each time. I'm like, well, no, but obviously like person A and person B are going to respond to the same thing different or the same general skeleton differently. But then from there you can be like, okay, well, person A really needs help with their squat. So maybe we will for the next block, you know what I mean? Like hone in on squat specific drills and skills, but then you know that versus person B, they're like, okay, well their squat's phenomenal, but man, do they lack overhead strength? You know what I mean? And then you know what to adjust. But when you're first starting, you're not a bad coach or trainer if you're like, okay, here's this general based off what we talked about and your goals, but I literally have no idea how you're going to respond or you know what I mean? So yeah, I think people think that that's bad and that those, I don't think it's as much anymore that templated programs have got a bad rep, but there was a stage there a few years ago where I felt like everyone was like, templated programs are the worst. One-on-one program is the only thing that works. I'm like, well, some people don't need that. Or sometimes you one-on-one program with a skeleton. I like that word a lot better than even a template, a skeleton, yeah. because then you can fill out your, the rest of it for that individual. <laughs> yeah. Especially in our world, on the, in our online world, especially the word template is like, it means it has so much negative, negative like connotation with it because people mm-hmm. are, are applying, I think more of a graphic design definition of te- template to personal training. So that's why yeah. I like to use the word skeleton It's a framework. It's like, this is the scaffolding to help us build the building. Okay. So mm-hmm. use it for that purpose and for that reason. And I think it also is worth mentioning that in order for you to progress that client well, especially when you're deciding I'm going to work in person, I mean, online with my clients, you have to require your clients to give you feedback. That it, like it seems like very common sense, but how many trainers come to me and they're like, "Yeah, when they first start, they're excited and every they're like uploading every single little thing, every video move of their movement they're uploading and they're re- talking back to me, but as it becomes the time with you draws out, they communicate with you less and less because they're not there with you in person, so they might not always like give you video feedback or talk to you about what's going on. So you get to the end of a week and you're looking at what they logged in and you're like, I see numbers. Sometimes you don't see them have numbers um, yeah. about what they're moving. And so then you're like, it's all a big guessing game. And like I said, it sounds like common sense, but it's a big complaint of a lot of trainers. They don't know how or what to do next also because their clients aren't talking to them. And that's because you didn't, tr- you didn't train them to teach you. I mean, you didn't train them to respond to you. Mm-hmm. Um, from the get-go, you have to kind of establish boundaries and expectations with your clients. It is part of the um, onboarding process with what I teach with all of my Fit for Development mentorship students. Um, when your client first comes in, you have to uh, establish a foundation of this is what you can expect from me. This is how I communicate. This is my expectation for how I need you to communicate with me. This is how often that you can talk face one to one with me. This is how often um, you can expect me to make changes to your program. Like 
you want them to know what they need to do on their end to make your job easier for you to do your job for them. But at the same time, you need to give to them what they can expect from you from their personal trainer point of view. So they don't have like either bottomed out expectations that like, well, they did they, I don't know what my trainer does. She just like sends me workouts. Um, or they have some over some very overwhelming expectations where they expect you to basically spoon feed them every single thing. Mm-hmm. Like, what and you don't I want that. Me? And you don't no. have to coach or trainer. Do not no. want that. No. no, you don't want them to ask you, what weights do I use this week? Um, what did you use last week? <laughs> you know, like that sort of thing. Like you think you want them to ask that, but when you have 10 people or 15 people or even five people asking you that constantly, no, you want to pull all your hair out. You will. And then you're going to feel like, are you learning anything? Because I tell every client that I ever work with um, this, my job is to make my, my job is to make me obsolete. Like you don't need me anymore because you should be a, you should be learning from me what to do to take care of yourself because this is a life skill. You keep, I want you to keep me around because you like me, not because you need me. And yeah. so a lot of my clients are always just like, you You don't want me to continue to hire you? And it's like, no, I don't want you to need me. Like, yeah. that, there's a big difference there because a client who needs a lot of handholding, maybe you think that you want to work with clients who need a lot of handholding, but I want you to think about that the long-term route. Like, think about that over the course of a year. Will no. that crime go at you? It probably no. will. It will. It will. And it doesn't even make you, I think people think that like you have to be this big selfless person to work in fitness. And trust me when I say people will lead you dry if you let them. Like, and I, and, and coaching and training already, even if it has good boundaries is very emotionally draining to begin with because you're giving people so much emotional and mental energy to do things. That doesn't mean it's bad. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. You don't care about your clients. But if you draw boundaries early on, you're going to have more energy to do the important things and be the important things for your clients. Like I don't need 17 people asking me, how do I log sim- single limb workouts? You know what I mean? Like yeah. there is an auto message that tells them that right away. I don't understand why so many people are confused by that, that I never predicted it, but apparently it's like the biggest confusion. But I was like, you know what? No, you have been provided with a resource right off the bat that tells you how to do this because I don't need to answer that to 17 people, but it helps me instead to have someone saying, Hey, I'm struggling with progressing this. Do you have any tips? That's more worth my time to answer, but then I'm not mentally or emotionally burnt out by the 17 people asking me how to track lunges. You know what I mean? Like they've, they already know. They already know. I got it. It's right there. Like let's think through it kind of thing. So I think providing resources is a helpful way to do that, but also setting those boundaries. Like, so you don't want to, cause you don't want to resent your clients, right? For things that like you can prevent yourself from happening. Exactly. Yeah. So I love that. And um, I love that you're so process driven. I know you talked about that being like a strong suit of what you do. And I think probably a lot of coaches and trainers can be more process driven instead of just throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping it sticks. And so can you talk a little bit more about what that looks like from your end on things and like um, how you teach that to other trainers and coaches? Yeah, for sure. So um, process driven, the way it works for me is a lot of times when you either get a new idea or a new client, new opportunity, whatever it is, it can seem like a big muddled up mess. And so Mm -hmm. the way I find myself through the mess is to establish what the end goal of the process or the thing that I want to achieve is. And just like I teach with programming, you, I work backwards from that. So that is like what I mean by process end goal and kind of looking back to where I am now, I need to get there. How do I do that? But I'm also someone who is more of like a big picture visualizer and looking, figuring out granular details all at once from point A to point B in their entirety is very hard for me. My brain just doesn't work like that. I so- feel like you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> I'm so big picture. I can map out a whole year, but the details, I'm like, I'll get to those when I get to them. <laughs> right. And so the way I work around that is I just roll with it in a sense of, I figure out, okay, that's the end goal. What are the first three steps? What are the first two steps? You take Mm -hmm. those two or three steps and then you say, 
what are the next two to three steps? And so basically you just, it's almost think about like rocks along a path. You throw out a few rocks in front of you so that you just see to where your next three steps are. You get there and then you assess the situation and you take three, you figure out. Honestly, I think there's that middle ground where some people like maybe like us aren't detail oriented enough. And then there's some people who get so hyper-focused on the details that they like, they're still on rock one. Yeah. When they, then when like, it's like, you know what? You're on rock one worrying about rock six. You're probably going to know understand rock six a lot better when you get to rock five. Like, yeah, exactly. like, no. like you can't, you're worrying about a detail on something that's 17 yeah. steps ahead and you haven't even fit, you haven't get, gotten the confidence to move to the second yeah. step. I, I'm, I'm sure everybody listening to this has either been in a car or driven a car when there's fog or when there's pouring rain and you necessarily, you can't necessarily see the next exit. You can't see super far down the road because there's either a ton of rain falling or there's fog. And so what do you do? You slow down, you turn on your high beams if you need to or not. And you kind of just handle what's right there in front of you. And you make sure mm-hmm. that you don't run off the road. A lot of my process is that like what's right here. I know that that end goal, that exit's coming up. So let me just continue to work like with what I have now to get to that point. That's how I like to illustrate all of that. Um, and so when it comes, so that's exactly honestly how I teach clients. I, I've i learned that clarity comes from taking the action to do the thing. Clarity comes from action. So what I tell them is like, figure out where you want to go and then figure out a few steps at a time and don't bust your butt trying to like make perfect the first step or the second step to your point that you made earlier. Um, perfectionism will make you take forever to do things and you can always improve as you go or if you think of something when you get to a later step and you're like hey you know what this actually would be better if step one looked like this then you can go back it's not nothing is nothing is absolute no and you can that's the beauty of having um that's the beauty of just getting started is you can troubleshoot as you go and you can go back and fix things like no one's ever going to get upset with you because you went back and made something better. If anything, they're going to applaud you for having the ability to go back and change the thing. And I think that's huge. And I think a lot of trainers and coaches are embarrassed to tell their clients, okay, we could be doing something better, but that just is serving them better. That doesn't mean what you're giving them before was crap. That means that you learned more and you're willing to admit that you know, and you should, you should always be learning and growing and moving. And like, Anytime I've updated the Littlest Method, no one's been like, were you scamming me this whole time? They're like, wow, thank you for listening to our feedback. Or wow, I didn't even know that I wanted this. Or like like the, smooth, the silliest thing is people wanted more pull-up progression earlier on. And even though I was technically working them up to it over time, they wanted it like day one, they wanted to be working towards that. And I was okay, like you kind of were before, but maybe you didn't see that. So we went through and I made that pull-up progression way more present in the programming because people really wanted that. Women really want that first pull-up. And I was like, okay, you know what? You're right. Like I probably could – I probably took a too slow of an approach to this. I can do this better. You know what I mean? And it wasn't me being like, oh, well, I wasn't ever giving you this. I was the worst ever. It was like, okay, well, I can do this better in a way that serves you guys based off the goals that you have. That doesn't mean that like what you have previously is bad. It just means that you're saying, hey – I'm doing better on you. Like I'm yeah. giving you more. No client is ever going to be mad that you're giving them more or better. No. And I th- you made me think of a point that I would like to make about like the whole concept of progression or process. How do you like approach process? How do we have better process? That concept applies when you are, um, when you're writing out programs, like you made the point about helping clients get to a pull up. How are you building that process into your program? Like, how are you progressing that over time? So once you can, like, figure out what style of process makes the most sense to help you move along the path for yourself, you just apply it to your job. You apply it to everything. How do you change? It's like a a lot of fitness also is behavior change. So how do you change that client from being completely averse to doing a particular movement or activity that isn't physically harmful to them? to completely being okay with doing that thing. Like I once had a client who completely hated taking walks outside. I had never had a client like that. But then I started asking, at first I was just like, oh my God, this woman, like what, really, really? Like it's a walk outside, what's the big deal? But then when I started to ask questions and really started to understand her life, she had lived in major cities her whole life. And so in her mind, she was afraid of getting mugged on the street if she took a walk like in the neighborhood along the road. And so we had to like 
think through that whole process. Okay, well, like, how do I help her approach this? And how to, I mean, does she need to go outside or do we have to, can we figure out something else? And then that same client had a huge problem with wanting to work out on their own. They thought, if I'm going to work out, I have to work out with you. And I had to help her understand that this, again, is something that, do you want to always have to switch trainers every single time your trainer's no longer available to you? Like, what if I up and move next month? Yeah. Are you just going fitness altogether? Or are you going to learn what I'm trying to teach you so that you can take care of yourself? And honestly, that resonated with her. And like a few weeks later, she was like, I really thought about what you said. And you know what? How about we start building? I want to do a fourth workout. And I don't I understand you don't have the bandwidth to come in to teach me to, to train for a fourth day. So how about I do the fourth day starting like next week or something like that? So they will come around, but you have to be willing to work with them, take your time and continue to like poke the bear in a kind way. You yeah. Know? Getting people, um, you know, I, I always call it, I don't want to say it's like tricking people. I don't like to say that because that sounds really mean, but I feel like I do this a lot on Instagram where I like am just slowly, slowly reshifting people's mindset over time. I'm yeah. not tricking you. I'm never lying to you. I'm never hiding the truth, but I'm you're I'm exposing them to what else they can like another way of thinking or approaching something. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not pushing people into the deep end. I'm just challenging a little bit here and there. I'm challenging the thoughts that you're having. And then eventually you're like, oh, she's not crazy. She's actually onto something. And I'm like, you know what? Um, something that I love with this too that I'll comment on kind of is that I followed programs and stuff in the past, but I never had like a formal coach outside of sports. I had coaches for sports and then I kind of figured out a lot of stuff trial and error on my own, but I've had a coach the last like year and a half now. And I think that being coached has helped me so much with coaching oh, and fitness. Yes. And I think like, cause Noah's my friend, my coach Noah, he was an undergrad in our lab. And I only I originally went to him because of Olympic weightlifting, but I joined a CrossFit gym like a year and a half ago, I joined across the gym and I started training with Noah. And I still train at both gyms because for me, because my in-person experience was like in rehab settings and in group fitness, and I did work in like the college gym and stuff like that. But like I hadn't had that for years, but being around other people and like the one guy at our CrossFit gym that is the coach, when I go to CrossFit classes, I intentionally go to his because I learn from him as he's coaching me and giving me feedback in the class. You know what I mean? I learn from him as I'm doing it. And I even go to the gym and like I train with Noah and like, so I hurt my back this week and I don't need to go to the gym to train with Noah this week. I don't need to. I needed him for Olympic weight coaching. I don't need a coach to tell me to stand there and watch me do bicep curls on lap pull downs. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't need that. Um, but I still go right. Cause the social support is helpful for me, but I don't need Noah for that. But I love being in the environment because it's like you talk to other coaches and other trainers and you're being cued back and you think about something differently or you're exposed to something differently or like, and I think that's helped me a ton um, as I finish up my PhD and I have it in the industry more. It's like being coach, I think helps you coach. Because no, one, I not only are you learning, but two, you're the client, you're the receiver. So you know, you're like, oh, I don't like that. You know what I mean? Or like, yeah. oh, I really like that. Yeah. And I, I agree with you a thousand percent. One of the, I recently had a conversation with a client, like, um, a tr client that who, who is also a trainer. Um, I distinguish because I still have some in-person and mm -hmm. online like training clients that I actually train them. But often when you, when you're coached by someone else and you also are in the role of coaching, you start to pick out what you don't like or how that person did something that you think um, I understand where they're getting at, but I don't like the way they tried to coach it or teach it because then that tells you how to go back and figure out how do I do it differently from them so that it's better. It like I often remember the person who learns from figuring out what I don't want or what not to do to tell mm -hmm. me what to do. So instead of being like, what do you want to know? But like, what do you not want to learn? Um, or what way do you not want to get something wrong so that we can like figure out what the opposite of that thing is? Um, I think that's a good way of trying to like learn how to figure out coaching and what's effective and um, things of that nature. Yeah. And even on the other end, at, like, at least like my one gym that I go to, I talk to the coaches and trainers a lot too. And like, there's a lot of mutual respect, even though like I do something that's online and they're in person and like, it challenges the way you think about things or you approach things or you ask people things. They're like, well, cause people believe in, to believe in different methods and approaches and how to do stuff and things like that. 
and it challenges you and makes you better, right? Like I think there's this idea that you're supposed to be perfect. And what maybe I come from academia, so it's like you're dumb always and you can always be better and smarter. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm like, I'm an idiot and I always suck until I suck less. And then I still suck more because there's something more that I don't know. Um, but it's good, it's fun. Like it's it's I think it's a good way for us as professionals to put ourselves in our client's shoes, but then also just like yeah, like yeah. learn what you don't like or don't agree with or think is bad because then you make it better and you fix that. And then it's a little domino in the whole industry. That's, you know, it exactly. seems like a little, but it is, it can add up over time. Yes. Okay. Well, Jasmine, thank you so much for this. I think we covered everything that I wanted to cover. I think this was really great. If you would like to, please tell our audience. I'm hoping that a lot of coaches got a lot of out of this, so I'm assuming those are the ones we're going to get to listen to this episode. Tell them where to find you, how to work with you, what you offer, all of the goods, how they can have you help them elevate the industry and program just a little bit better. For sure. So um, you can find me on Instagram at strongly underscore Jasmine. Um, that's pretty much the only social media platform you will ever find me on. Um, my website is strongflexihealthy.com. That's flexi with a Y. And essentially what I offer is all the things that we t- discussed today. My signature like flagship offer or thing that I have is called the Fit Pro Development Mentorship. And it is um, basically it's a coursework where you kind of learn all the things that you weren't taught in your CPT and how to implement it all. Um, mm-hmm. And so that is um, that is what I'm always most excited for trainers to go through because it teaches you things about just like managing your time and developing yourself and how to attract the clients that are going to be best for you and how to program. That is overall, uh, I know a lot of people are like, I'm doing it for the programming, but you learn so much more than just programming within media. Mm-hmm. So that's one. Um, I also, for the client, for the trainers that have some experience under their belt, but they still don't have a driven process or repeatable process for programming. I have what you call design it better. It's a VIDP day, which is like my one-on-one coaching container is a five hour day where we strip away everything that you currently do with programming and rebuild it back up so that mm-hmm. it is something that you feel confident with programming from clients, programming for clients long-term and long-term meaning like more than six months, more than a year if necessary. You figure out how to program for them start to finish based on their needs and priorities. Um, and there is a predictable system to refer back to with every new client that you take on. So those are my two primary offers at the time of this recording. Um, Other than that, if you are not in a position where you're ready to like go all in with either of those two things, I do have an email list. It's called Elevate the Trainer. And it's where we talk about all the goods of like personal training and this as a career path and not just something that you do on the side. Mm -hmm. I love that. So make sure you guys follow her, check out her resources. I cannot stress how much I'm asked stuff about this um, from other coaches and trainers. And while I value you guys looking towards me and my expertise, there's people out here who are literally doing this for you and laying it out for you and teaching you. Um, so I think what Jasmine's doing is great and it's so needed in the industry. So go follow her, check out her stuff. You know, if you're scared to take the jump, start with the free resources. They're always safe. You know what I mean? She also has a ton of posts, tons of content on her page that is so useful. So we'll link everything here in the show notes. Um, thank you so much, Jasmine. I think this was a lot of a lot of information for a lot of people. I've, hopefully people like were like, oh shit, like that three-part process breaking down, like PT's relationship, assessing, programming. I think things are huge for people to dig a little deeper in. So hopefully that enticed you guys and you can go check out more on Jasmine's page and her resources. But Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. If you guys enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it. Tag both of us um, when you do. We love to see it. Let us know if you learned anything. Rate, review, subscribe, download helps so much. And that is it. Thank you so much, Jasmine. Thanks for we having appreciate, me. <laughs> appreciate you having me on. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. Um, and so until next time, guys, live well, demand better, and stay messy. We will see you on next week's episode. <laughs>